A reading from John chapter 4, verses 4 to 22, which can be found on your Pew Bibles on page 1065. That's 4 to 42, page 1065. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give to them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks, God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or Why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have bought him food? My food, said Jesus, 
is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it is still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labour. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Well, the children are using big words this morning, so that gives me an excuse to use big words with you as well. Narcissism. It's got a nasty sound to it, doesn't it? Do you know what it means? Macquarie Dictionary defines it this way, extreme admiration for oneself or one's own attributes, egotism, self-love. And I think it's a word which aptly describes our 21st century Western society. And we see it in the obsession with social media. People define their self-worth by the number of likes or the number of followers they can achieve in social media. A career option for young people these days is to be an influencer. You know what an influencer is? You amass enough followers that the companies want you to advertise their products and they'll pay you to advertise their products with uh, your followers. I was reading a book by Brian Rosner this week, How to Find Yourself. He shares about a new apartment complex around the corner from where he lives and it's offering a high-end luxury-designed apartment. And he says they use the tagline, an unlimited you. So it's all about you, and we'll help you to be unlimited. Our society is constantly telling us, you're the one. Buy this particular product. Pursue this particular career. You'll have, you have unlimited potential. You can have unlimited pleasure. You can be whoever you want to be, achieve whatever you want to achieve. You are the one. And that's the path to the good life, to a happy, fulfilling life. Well, in contrast to that, the Bible tells us to turn away from ourselves in order to find the good life, to turn away from self and turn to Jesus. And so in our series in Lent, we've been seeing people doing that. In the first week, we read the story of Philip finding Nathaniel and telling him, we found the one. Andrew found his brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah. You see, Jesus is the Messiah, the one. The Bible tells us to deny ourselves and look to him as the one where we are to find life and salvation. Last week, we heard the story of Nicodemus. Jesus said to him he had to be born again. He had to receive a whole new life from the Spirit of God uh, if he was to find life. 
And that meant acknowledging that Jesus is Lord, not him. Jesus is the one, not Nicodemus. And so this morning we come to the story of the Samaritan woman. She'd been searching for love in all the wrong places. And Jesus comes to her and presents himself as the one who can meet her deepest needs. You know, this is a fascinating dialogue in John 4, where Jesus gradually, playfully, challengingly as well, leads her to an understanding of himself as Messiah, as the Christ, and the one who can meet her deepest needs. The end of the dialogue, uh, in verse 26, Jesus says, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. That is, he is the Messiah. So let's take a look at how this story unfolds, how he arrives at that conclusion. Uh, If you have your Bible in front of you, it would be handy to be open at John 4 in the Pew Bible, page 1066. Jesus begins the conversation by simply asking for a drink there in verse 7. It's the middle of the day. It's probably very hot. We know Jesus has been walking all morning, so he's tired and thirsty. What a great way to strike up a conversation to express a simple need that somebody else can easily meet and then to engage in conversation. She expresses surprise that he, a Jew, would speak to her, a Samaritan, and possibly also he being male and she a woman. That was not the socially accepted practice back in that day. It may be even that she was showing some disdain that this Jewish man would be talking to her. Because Jews didn't associate with Samaritans, and Samaritans despise Jews. So don't you talk to me. And of course, the other way as well. Uh, So perhaps he's just hoping he will give up and go away. But Jesus persists. Jesus persists. Look at verse 10. He says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Here at the beginning of the conversation, we're getting a hint that Jesus' identity is important. He's saying, if you knew who you're talking to, (laughs) you wouldn't be so dismissive. And we're getting a cryptic clue as well about what he's got to offer, living water. The woman interprets Jesus literally. Is he talking about Jacob's well, where we are now, or another well that he knows about? What's this water that you're talking about? In verses 13 and 14, Jesus makes himself clearer when he says he's talking about spiritual water, water that will be a spring welling up to eternal life. And to drink this water is to never thirst again. And so in verse 15, the woman's interest is piqued. Give me this water, she says, so I won't get thirsty again. But it's interesting that Jesus then changes the subject. Or does he? Uh, he apparently changes the subject. Jesus says to her, call your husband and come back. He has supernatural knowledge that she's currently not married and that she's had five husbands previously. Well, she obviously doesn't want to pursue that line of conversation. So verse 17, she just says, I have no husband. Look at verses 19 and 20. She tries to distract Jesus by declaring, oh, you must be a prophet. And asking a theological question about where's the right place to worship. Well, that's the common tactic, isn't it? If you're uncomfortable in the conversation, change the subject. And that's what she's trying to do. 
But it would seem Jesus is putting his finger on sin in her life. However, it's not to condemn her, but to lead her to this living water that he's just been talking about. And that's why I said this is only an apparent change of conversation. Because in the end, we can only discover the living water if we're honest about our sin and admit to it and recognize it. And the wonderful thing is, if we know there's living water, if we know there's a saviour, we can be honest. We can be honest. Uh, And that's what Jesus is uh, leading her to, to realise she can be open about her past uh, and it can be forgiven. And so Jesus is leading her very gently to this living water. It's interesting, though, that she tries to change the subject by talking theology. Do you notice that? Sometimes we can have great conversations with people about God, but the issue is actually an ethical sore point in their past. That's what's blocking them coming to faith. And so we need to ask for divine wisdom and insight when we're talking with people and having these sort of conversations. However, Jesus is prepared to pick up this theological theme that um, she's thrown out there, this theme about worship. The Samaritan woman's only concerned with geographical, historical and cultural issues around worship. The question of whether it should take place at Mount Gerizim, which is what the Samaritans claimed was the right place, or Mount Zion in Jerusalem, which the Jews claimed was the right place. Jesus circumvents the issue by declaring that true worshippers must worship the Father in spirit and in truth. In other words, location doesn't matter. Knowing Jesus as the Messiah and worshipping him in the spirit and in truth is all that counts. And so you see, holy sites and holy places no longer count in having a relationship with God. Making pilgrimages to holy sites and holy places do not get you any closer to God. Worshipping in Sunshine Beach or Tawantan or Perigian doesn't make any difference. Well, I know this is a wonderful place to worship. (laughs) No, what matters is worshipping in spirit and in truth is all that counts. Now, the Samaritan woman seems to be catching on to this. There's something in this, obviously, because that leads her to thinking about the Messiah. And uh, so she makes this comment that, uh, yeah, well, we'll fully understand these things when the Messiah comes. Well, surprise, he's here right in front of her. Jesus has been baiting her, teasing her, coaxing her to this grand conclusion. And now he brings it. I am the one. I am he. I am the Messiah. And miracle of miracles, this woman becomes a believer. Not just a believer, but an evangelist. It just naturally flows out of her. Did you notice that? In verse 29, we find her back in the township saying to people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And then down in verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And not only the woman, but Jesus stays in the town two days. And we're told in verse 41, because of his words, many more became believers. What did they believe? Well, verse 42 spells it out. They came to believe that this man really is the saviour of the world. So what can we learn from this passage? I want to suggest two things. Firstly, Jesus is the one. The Bible uses the term Messiah 
It's not a term our society readily understands, is it? But we can still have a pretty good idea of what it means for someone to be the one. Jesus is the one. And he's the one who leads us to the good life. He's the one who shows us how to be truly happy. Of course, we have to be ready for him to redefine happiness for us. He defines it in terms of living water welling up to eternal life. And in John, eternal life is a whole new quality of life, both now and for eternity. And that's bigger than just the way the world defines happiness. So we have to accept this completely new way of looking at things, this new redefinition of the world. Jesus defines it now for us. He is the one. The second thing we can learn from this passage is that if we've come to acknowledge he is the one, we need to share him with others. The Samaritan woman just had a natural enthusiasm to share him with others, didn't she? I found someone who told me everything about my life. I'm reminded of the testimony of David Redfin, who uh, at the men's breakfast a few weeks ago shared his testimony. And he said, Jesus has been with me through all the ups and downs of my life, everything I've been through. And he shared with us about the highs of his career working in TNT Transport and in senior management positions working with Peter Abels and also the lows of a couple of heart attacks that should have killed him, taken his life. But his testimony was simply, Jesus is the one and he's been with me through all of those things, all the highs, all the lows, he's seen it all, he's been with me. And I think the Samaritan woman saw the same sort of thing where she says, I have found someone who told me everything I ever did. So the Samaritan woman is just the natural evangelist, isn't she? But look at the way Jesus is as well. He didn't dump on the woman right from the beginning, did he? I mean, he could have gone up to her and said, look, I'm the Messiah, you should believe in me. (laughs) No, he didn't do it that way. He built a relationship with her. And he did it through expressing his need for a drink of water and then uses the image of water to point her to the reality of spiritual thirst. And he offered her the living water that would meet that thirst. Notice Jesus doesn't leave the conversation at a simple social level. He's not afraid to talk to this woman about the pain in her past, to address some of those issues so that the living water can be brought to bear upon it. Notice also he's not afraid to tackle tough theological questions, go into deeper truths, worship in the spirit and truth. That's what Jesus says is the heart of true worship. And then finally, Uh, we need not be afraid to let people know that Jesus is the Messiah and the Christ because Jesus confronted her with that at the very end. Uh, And so we have to be prepared to get to that point as well and point people to Jesus as the Christ who can give them life. Uh, And so when the time is right, we have to get to the punchline just as Jesus did. So what is the next step for you? Well, it may be uh, you're currently not sure of Jesus. And you wouldn't call yourself a believer. Well, then why not follow the example of the Samaritan woman and put your faith in him? Believe he is the one who can satisfy your deepest needs and give you the living water that your heart craves for. Put your faith in him like the Samaritan woman did. But if you do know Jesus, uh, then it's about sharing that faith with others. And I think the first step is simply being friendly. It's not hard, is it? Mostly? Well, 
when we've been conditioned by our society, we do have to break uh, through some bad habits. Because our society, as I said at the beginning, is constantly telling us that our own needs and desires are what's most important. And so we actually have to resist that advertising that's stroking our ego and telling us it's all about you. And so the first step to sharing Jesus is uh, to get our minds and our hearts off us and on others. Thinking about their needs, thinking about what's happening in their life at the moment, taking an interest and being friendly. That's the first step. Now maybe you feel you're doing okay with that just at the moment. Well, the next step for you is to move outside your normal circle. What would it mean for you to be friends across racial lines, across lines of social class, across lines of sexual orientation, across lines of theological persuasion? You know, Jesus crossed all of those lines again and again in the gospel stories. And he especially crosses it here with this Samaritan woman. And so growing as his disciple means becoming more like him and being friends with those who are opposite to you, being prepared to cross those lines. And in a society which says it's all about you and your needs and your needs for security, so just get into your little tribe and be comfortable there, throw stones at those other tribes out there that have got different values, a disciple of Jesus should be different. We should stick out like a sore thumb, or in this case, I would suggest a healing hand. might be a more appropriate image. A healing hand reaching out with the love of Christ. You know, Christ held those dogmatic, uh, absolute values. He never let them go, but he was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And we're called to do the same. And so then as we reach out, we have to remember that coming to Christ is a process. A process. And did you notice the process in this conversation with the Samaritan woman? Uh, For us, I guess the process will rarely all happen in one conversation. It will be over time uh, that we share different things with a person and that God will be doing a work in their lives. Uh, those of you who were at the confirmation and our wonderful combined service last week at Perigian, you might recall Chris Parker's testimony. And he shared how it was many Christian friends over many years sharing with him, showing acts of care and kindness. Uh, that was all the background to him coming to Alpha last year and actually saying, I now want to receive Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah. But it didn't. It, Alpha wasn't there just as some magic on its own it was the witness and the care of christians over all those years as he shared and so that was what it'll be for us every act of witness every act of care god will use uh, when you reach out in friendship to another person and you have to believe that and that that's faithfulness i want to suggest the next step for all of us who believe in jesus as the one is to invite someone for easter is a time when people do think a bit more about coming to church next week we'll have the invitation cards so take one of those and be praying and thinking about uh, who you could befriend and bring to jesus this easter very soon also we'll have the alpha invitation cards and it'll be an that'll be after easter you can invite someone to come to the alpha information meeting and uh, hopefully want to then do the course and 
like the Samaritan woman, work through the issues and the challenge that Jesus brings. So my friends, who is the one? Is it you? Our society is saying it's you, but the scriptures tell us otherwise. The witness of Andrew, Simon Peter, Philip, Nathaniel, Nicodemus, and now this morning the Samaritan woman, is that it's all about Jesus. Jesus is the one. So put your faith in him. Point others to him because he is indeed the one. Amen.